You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by MyBookie. MyBookie will match your first deposit by 50% all the way up to $1,000. Head to mybookie.ag and use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Bet, win, get paid at mybookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Joining me on this episode is Will Salmon from The Athletic, and Will is joining us from the airport in Chicago on his way back from Columbia, Missouri. Will, after back-to-back losses to the Tigers the last two years for the Gators, the Gators come away with a 23-6 win in its final SEC game of the season. Absolutely, man. It probably wasn't the way that a lot of Gator fans drew it up in the beginning, but it got there at the end. So I guess the result is something that they'll take, especially considering that I think it spoke a lot to the team's sort of character that we sort of alluded to last week and a week prior, just about an ability to bounce back when, you know, you have some things on the line, but it's not everything on the line anymore. And so I thought, I thought that was something that was worth sort of saying at the at the onset just because it kind of speaks to a couple of things that we've been talking about all season. Absolutely. Still plenty to play for for this team. And the SEC schedule's over with and uh, bye week FSU coming up. But, uh, of course, we'll take a look at uh, what happened in Columbia and uh, how the Gators got to the 23-6 victory. But before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes uh, uh, over there and uh, news for jacks coverage of the Gators there as well also listen and subscribe on apple podcast google podcast stitcher spotify youtube however you want to get gators breakdown plenty of options out there when using those services please share rate and review the show and follow us on social media on facebook and twitter at gators breakdown and well as you alluded to man you know another kind of slow start for these gators and uh, every time it seemed like a drive would get going uh, we'd see Kyle Trask get sacked, uh, or a large tackle for loss, a drop pass. You know, it was a, it was a sloppy first half for the Gators' offense, and uh, third down offense was an issue uh, the entire game. But uh, three of fourteen for the entire game, but started zero for three in the first quarter, one for five in the second quarter. That puts us, uh, you know, at one for eight at halftime. It's six to three, Florida at halftime. And you felt Florida was somewhat in control of the game, but you know it was Missouri getting four sacks in the first half that held back some confidence that you know Florida could get this offense going. The the, the Tigers' defense abused the interior uh, of the Gators' offensive line and kept coming up and getting to Trask and affecting him. Uh, the run game is what it is at this point of the season. Will we know Florida is a pass first team right now? Uh, but Missouri was able to just you know pin their ears back and get into the backfield and really limit what Florida could do uh, in the first half on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and I don't like you just said like I don't care about the running game if I'm Florida that much because I mean I care about it but not at the sense that we need to see Michael P. Ryan or Damian Pierce combined for like 30 carries or 25 carries. That's not going to happen anymore. Like not not for the remainder of this season unless something just goes completely different between now and the end of the bowl game, wherever they end up. This is who they've been for weeks. The problem with that is that pretty much everybody knows that now. So when you're playing a team like Missouri, which has a pretty good defense, they could, you know, just adjust accordingly. 
and disguise their pressures or make them a little bit more unique than maybe they had shown on film. And I think that's the reason why we saw some pressures up the middle that were just too much for Florida to handle. By the time, I think, um, the first stack, by the time Michael Pirine realized where the pressure was coming from, it was, it was too late because the guy had already zipped by him. Um, and, you know, there's a variety of reasons why that kept happening. Particularly, it was up the middle, but the pressures on the outside were inconsistent. Uh, the blocking on the outside was inconsistent, too, as far as the tackles go. They allowed some pressure, so Forsyth gave up a sack as, as well. So, you know, the, not a great performance in the first half by the offensive line, which really kept Florida off schedule. And when you're looking at this team and you're saying to yourself, okay, like, what am I watching? Yeah, you're watching, you're hoping for a win if you're, Florida, if you're a Florida fan and you're, you're watching this game and seeing what you have, but you're also sort of projecting for next year, I think, at this point, too, just because there are only two games left. There's just one game in the regular season plus the bowl, so you're kind of looking in the back of your mind and saying, okay, you know, who's getting better? Who's developing? Where are we at? What could be a strength next year? And right now, I'm just not sure if the offensive line is something that I'm necessarily buying as far as this unit's going to be that much better next year. Um, they got to show me a little something in these next in these last two games. And I did think the group kind of clicked when Ethan White was on the field, as a matter of fact. And there could be a couple of different reasons why. Uh, Brett Heggie was dealing with some headaches and, and whatnot. That's why he was out last week. Maybe he wasn't 100% at the beginning. I don't know. And then Gene DeLance was a little bit banged up. I saw him on the trainer's table um, a little bit during the second half when I got down to the field. He looked okay, but, yeah, it, it just didn't seem like they were 100% out there. And the unit that worked the best, I thought, was with the true freshman on the field, Ethan White. So something to yeah. watch for, I guess, the next couple of weeks is to kind of continue to track his development and the end of development as the offensive line as a whole. Absolutely. Like you, I brought up in the preview last week when I had Gabe DeArmond on from, from Power Mizzou. And look, the names that we discussed, you know, Nick Bolton and Elliot Jordan and, and Whiteside here, you know, that interior for the Missouri defensive line going against that, you know, what we knew the interior with Garage and, and Heggy and White, uh, you know, we, we thought they'd be a problem and uh, for that little trio and Buchanan at center as well. We thought that, you know, we thought the interior of the Missouri defensive line would give Florida a little bit of issues. And, well, I, I just noticed I, I had a little bit of time to kind of go back and rewatch some of the game, uh, not not an entire we rewatch just yet. But on, and I'll get in. We'll get into Emory Jones in just a second. But you, you brought it up, Ethan White coming in. And I, I found it interesting when Emory Jones came in. Ethan White came in as well, but it was Brett Heggie who slid to left guard, not Richard Garage. Uh, you know, Richard, I guess they took out Garage at left guard. They slid Heggie over to left guard. Ethan White was in at right guard. So, yeah, it was uh, like you said, I think they're still trying to figure out pieces that maybe are, are, are pieces that will be. Uh, or, or they're, they're definitely going to be instrumental next season. But as you say, and they may be tinkering with some combinations out there of how they're going to insert White, Garage, and Heggie uh, there to kind of see. We know, we know there's going to be an opening at center next year, but uh, I kind of agree with you. I think they're maybe trying to figure out a combination there uh, of the guards to try and get something going. Yeah, and I think DeLance was out for a couple of series. I'm not sure if that was because he needed a break uh, physically or it was performance. I'm not sure. The question wasn't asked in the post game because it just wasn't that pressing after the game. Yeah. Um, but we'll probably find out throughout the week, if not the next week after that, um, ahead of the Florida State game. But uh, but yeah, man. I, also though, so Kyle Trask, he um, he's a lot better, I think, for picking up the pressure and knowing to get rid of the ball. But there were a couple of times where you know you knew that you knew that time was running out on those backs mm-hmm. like maybe maybe it's because we have the advantage of seeing the the play unfold and we're not looking for wide receivers you know yeah. and so like it's a little bit easier for us as viewers but you could kind of tell that time was ticking and as much progress as he's made in recognizing when to get rid of the ball he still has a little bit a little bit ways to go uh, he's getting better he's gotten a lot better uh, but what I'm trying to say is that he could still get there, – there's still room to grow there. Um, and we noticed that in the second half. I felt like he was getting the ball out a lot quicker when they did make a couple of those changes. They they were getting the ball out very very much more efficiently to the wide receivers. You know, it was the first read or the second read, and he, he didn't have to scan the field. Part of that, though, is because Missouri played well. They have a really good secondary, and they played like it. They, they, they played a lot of man coverage, and – 
oftentimes guys were able to jar ball, jar the balls loose against the Florida receivers, or it was just tough for them to get open uncharacteristically. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm going next. You know, keeping with the offense here, we mentioned there were four sacks by Missouri in the first half. So what happens in the second half? Florida doesn't give up a sack. And as you mentioned, Kyle Trask can be contributed with that, but the offensive line can uh, as well. You know, four sacks for Missouri in the first half, none in the second half. And you know, that helped leads. Uh, and so that you know helped lead to a dominant third quarter for the second week in a row for the Gators. Florida comes out after halftime, scores 14 points compared to Missouri's three. Trask goes 10 of 12 for 127 yards. Uh, the two touchdown passes to Josh Hammond and Michael Pirine. And those were some great throws and catches, great placement from from Trask, and great uh, you know adjustments and catches by Hammond and Piran. You know, so credit credit uh, credit to the quarterback and the receivers there. Florida averaged nine point nine yards per play, ran fourteen plays uh, there, and only had two third downs, converting one of them uh, in the third quarter. So, Will, I'm not sure what Mullen tells these guys at halftime, but it's worked the last two weeks. You know, part of it is Florida is the better team, so it should play out this way. But when things aren't going their way in the first half, the last couple of weeks, the offense puts together a third quarter that is the difference in in, in the games. What what's kind of significant, I feel like, when you're analyzing like the first and the second halves for Florida, is if you look at like the first drives for the Gators. A lot of times, you know, there there are some exceptions, but it's not often where you have like that fifteen, you know, ten play drive you know, 70 yards, mm. opening drive, touchdown. doesn't really happen too often, right? So it's like, I kind of feel like as an X's nose type of coach that Dan Mullen is, a lot of times the defense is doing something that they saw on film that's going to, that they're, they're trying to do something to, to prevent what Florida is good at. And it's come the second half, I think Dan Mullen figures it out where we do see those methodical drives uh, more frequently in the second half. So, sometimes they do hit some explosive plays in the first half of games. Um, and that, that had allowed them to kind of get upfield quickly, of course, and make it a little bit easier. But when that doesn't happen, um, it's just not too often where you see those long methodical drives that you do, say, in the third quarters of games or in the fourth quarters of games like we've seen in the past. Absolutely. Up, and we'll, up and down day for Traska, all in all, you know, looked good on the touchdown throws, but had some uh, inexplicable throws that should have been intercepted and, and good chances those are pick six if they're caught. At the end of the day, 23 of 35 for 282 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, as we mentioned, the pressure in his face much of the day. Uh, no help from a, the traditional run game. And you know, there were going to be chances for Trask to, to pass the ball all over the field with the Missouri and the kind of the one safety high man defense that they were playing. Wasn't pretty at times, but uh, you know, just looking at the numbers, Will, on the surface of the numbers, you know, he just he keeps putting up big numbers. Well, yeah, he does. Like you mentioned, though, there were there were those those two that I think went. Through the, the you know the, the defenders got a hand on a couple of those that would be interceptions, and then there was another one too. Um, but on the other on the other side of that, there were a couple of drops for Florida's receivers, mm-hmm. particularly uh, Jacob Copeland. I thought the throw to Pitts, uh, I believe it was in the second quarter where it was in the end zone. Oh yeah, it, the defender made a really good play on that ball, but that's that's a pass that Kyle Pitts usually catches. I feel yeah. like, and so. There were a couple that went either way against him. He has to do a better job, though, of, of like not making those throws that make you hold your breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's maybe like one of those a game. It's an improvement over Felipe Franks, who I felt like did it a little bit more frequently. And nobody's going to be perfect. I mean, it's college football. You're going to get that. I mean, unless you're like Tua or maybe Burrow this year. It's like yeah. it's, we're asking these guys to like do the impossible here, where it's like you got to play a perfect game. You know, it's like ain't going to happen. So, I mean, we're nitpicking because the kids played well. He, he's played above what anybody could have reasonably expected out of him. And to, and to lead a, another win like this, uh, yeah, the defense, I think, is why they won the game. But the senior playmakers and Kyle Trask, you know, you got to score some points. And, and they've been very, very uh, reliable and dependable when it, when it comes down to running the play, uh, finding a mismatch, and, and really hitting it uh, at the right time. And that's what we saw in the second half against Missouri. Well, I did want to, uh, yeah, I want to go there for a second and you know, shout out to your uh, article at The Athletic. And you know, I brought it up last week, too, on the, on the podcast. I brought it up with Ben Troop as well. You know, th- th- this veteran group, and, and of course, Senior Day is coming up against FSU, uh, the last home game of the season. Uh, and the last time, you know, we'll get to see Swain, Hammond, Cleveland. 
uh, you know, that group of, you know, Michael Piran, you know, just, you know, speaking for the offense right now, uh, see that, see those group of guys, you know, come out of the, come out of the tunnel in the swamp and, you know, they were instrumental, uh, in, 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 in this season, turning it around from Jim McElwain, uh, and these first two seasons under Dan Mullen, you know, uh, as good as uh, I think you know, kind of the theme of your article there, you know, for as much credit as we give Dan Mullen for coming in and changing this, uh, you know, instilling the Gator standard, but uh, you know the, the players have got to be receptive of it, and more than likely, you know, the, the, that group I just mentioned and a lot of other uh, leaders on the defensive side of the ball, it takes it takes those group of guys also to kind of you know take it all into and filter it down to the younger players on the team. Well put, and what people people know that I feel like that that the Gators are going to lose a bunch next year. That's not to say that they're going to be uh, worse or you know all that different either but what i think goes a little bit understated is it's not just the talent that florida will be graduating and losing in those four wide receivers plus the michael piran because they have talent in jacob copeland Kadarius tony uh trevin grimes if he comes back as as a junior and damian pierce at running back like, those guys are super talented there, there's no question about that it's just the, guy, the seniors are talented, too, but what makes them different is just how reliable they are. They know the playbook. They, they know the playbook inside and out. They know what they're doing on routes. They, they look like as if they never make mistakes. And we were just joking about Kyle Trask and quarterbacks and asking for perfection with them. With Hammond, with Hammond Swain, Van Jefferson, Michael Pirine, I mean, you almost get perfection with those guys. It's almost like your jaw, your jaws on the floor when they drop a pass or something like that, because it's just, they don't do that. And their reliability is just something that I'm not saying that they're going to, they're going to lose more games next year or what, but there's probably going to be times where you're like, okay, too bad. There's not Freddie Swain out there in the slot or Josh Hammond to, to catch this pass, um, to just move the chains for you or Van Jefferson to target like he was against Missouri in that first quarter where he's moving the chains for you every down, just going to him and he's picking up yards. Same like he did against LSU for that drive. It's just, um, it, it goes understated, I think, in my opinion. And I just thought that that was a good opportunity late in the season, like we said, because it's getting to that point where it's like, these are the, the this is the 2019 Florida Gators. We know who they are, but there's only two games left. So what are we talking about now? We're talking about what this team may be um, in two games from now when we're projecting the future. And it's not going to be with these guys, but Dan Mullen's very hopeful that their legacy of, you know, working overtime, uh, putting in the work, absorbing the playbook and being unselfish will have a trickle-down effect to the rest of the roster. We'll see, because that's asking for a lot in college football. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, one of the bigger headlines, again, is uh, the use of the usage of Emory Jones. Uh, and how the rotation is being used between him and Kyle Trask. Uh, again, it, it just doesn't feel right. Uh, Jones' first appearance is in the first quarter where he starts a drive on the Gators' own 20-yard line. As I mentioned, you know, Ethan White comes in here too at right, right guard. Hagee goes over at left guard on this drive. Uh, on the first play, Jones rushed for 10 yards on, on first and 10. Uh, then the reverse to Tony goes for a loss of eight. Jones then runs for 14 yards on second down, setting up a third and four. Mullen decides to take Jones out, insert Trask for a pass that falls incomplete. Then the next time we see Jones is on the, uh, um, uh, we see him on a, on a play after you know, Trask starts to drive, throws to Pitts for three yards uh, from the Gators' own 37-yard line. Jones comes in, runs for four, then runs for five to get a first down. Uh, then he completes a 48-yard under underthrown pass to Kadarius Tony. Very next play, Jones rushed for uh, a yard on first down, uh, down to the Missouri five-yard line. Emory Jones is then taken out again. Kyle Trask almost does the interception on the next play. Then on third and goal, Trask and Tony can't get together on the diving try in the end zone. Will, it just looks rough. Uh, it's not smooth out there right now uh, when this happened. Uh, the play calling is very predictable when Jones is out there. Uh, but what isn't predictable is when Jones will come on or when he's taken off the field. Uh, so, you know, he doesn't get the finished drives uh, when the game is close. It looks like it affects Trask rhythm a bit when he's asked to come in and, and, and throw after Emory Jones has been on the field. So, man, I, I just find it weird that, you know, when Trask went down versus Auburn, we saw Jones use his arm to drive Florida down the field and a little more of the offense from him. But lately, it's, you know, been a big majority of run plays with very little passing. So, now look. Dan Mullen knows what goes on behind the scenes in the film room and on the practice field, but it, it does 
at least on the surface from here uh, as a faraway viewer, you know, the, the, the rotation just looks clunky. Yeah, so I, I think you were getting at it when you said we don't really know when Emory Jones, we don't know at all, actually, when Emory Jones is going to appear in a game, but we have a very good idea of what he's going to do. And that's on <laughs> the ball. So it doesn't really, does really matter when he appears if we know what he's going to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're not, there, there goes a surprise almost. But I will say, though, that it looks as if Dan Mullen is using Emory Jones, obviously, right, as, as part of a running game where similar to Kadarius Tony, like we saw against Missouri, where he was in the Wildcat, he got that jet sweep as well earlier before the Wildcat appearance. They're part of a running game that is non-traditional, to say the least. And so you've got to keep the defense somewhat honest here um, so that we don't see the four or five sack games like that. And, and one way to do that is to use Emory Jones as a runner, it's interesting because Kyle Trask is getting better as a runner, though. Mm-hmm. And we saw him run that speed option. It looked a little weird because he was like, the, de- <laughs> the defender was trying to read it. And it was just kind of funny because he just uh, held he on to the ball. <laughs> what he was going to do. Yeah. And, but he just held on to it. And, and that was the right decision. It was kind of funny because you were just waiting, waiting, waiting for him to fling the ball over to, I guess it was Pirine, um, the, whoever was running back on that play. And he never does. And it's a great play because if he does, it's, it's going to be a fumble, you feel like, because that just has a nightmare written all over it for the, for the Gators. But he holds on to it, makes the right, re- makes the right reasons in touching it and keeping, and keeping the ball and going. And we're seeing more of that. We're seeing more comfort from Kyle Trask as a runner. And so it just makes you think that, hey, if he can keep evolving and maybe the offensive line gets better, I'm not saying he's going to be like Felipe Franks last year because I thought last year Felipe Franks was great as a runner. Um, I'm not sure if he gets to that level. Um, not that Felipe was the best I've ever seen. I'm not saying that before people uh, get crazy about that <laughs> statement, but I, I did think that he was pretty good. But, um, yeah, so we'll see. Because I'd like to see Emory Jones, like you're saying, throw the ball more. Dan Mullen was asked point blank toward the end of the press conference, what does Emory Jones sort of have to do to, to earn more throws or to maybe build your trust in him to, for him to be out there and – throw some passes and he said he kind of just he kind of answered around the question and said I have complete trust in Emory Jones Um, and then he went back to the idea of neither guy is questioning it nobody's asking if they're really questioning it we're just we're just kind of questioning why we don't see Emory Jones throw the ball more I suspect that we will it's just a hunch that in the next in these last two games Florida State in the bowl he will throw a couple of passes but that's just a that's just a guess on my part just based off of what Dan Mullen has said about slowly getting him more involved in that offensive in that offensive play calling and opening it up a bit more. That was a phrase that he used after the game, opening it up a bit more. What does that mean? I'm, I'm thinking that we'll see in the next couple of games, but not something I'd necessarily bet on, just a kind of a guess. Yeah, and more guessing here from my side. You know, when Kyle Trask went down versus Auburn, it didn't look good. You know, he really didn't. We didn't know if he was going to play again. We didn't know if he was going to come back at that point. You know, but it, it didn't look good. So, you know, I don't know if that played into it or not. And, you know, with the, the play calling behind Emory because, you know, maybe Dan Mullen thought, okay, well, you know, I, I don't know when Kyle Trask will come back if he comes back. So, you know, here, here's the offense. Here's what it is. And, and Emory Jones can run it. And, you know, they called the plays like Emory Jones has been playing for two seasons uh, at quarterback. You know, there, there were – there. They were a good bit of passes. They were mixing in with the run, the run game. So that's kind of the that, that's where I I always go back to is why'd you let him throw so much there in, in the middle of the season uh, against you know the the game was still of course in question. That game was never out of question, but uh, you know you, you kind of needed to go put some points up. You know was right, I think it was right before halftime, so you're trying to get some points before halftime. And there's Emory Jones throwing the ball down the field. Yeah, it's a great question, man. <laughs> and, and I thought, was, I thought particularly like against Missouri, they took him out on what third and four, and they and they reinserted Kyle Trask. Yeah, is that correct? Third and four. So it's I like, think. I feel like that's a that's a down where I honestly want Emory Jones in on that down, just because yeah. he was picking up yards in the running game for you. Um, I'm not saying you have to run there, but I I, I just had a good feeling of him. And again, I said this before, but I'm more of like an analytically analytical based person. So for me to say I have a good feeling about it kind of <laughs> hurts my hurts my heart. But I did have a feeling that he was going to pick that up if he was left in the game for whatever for whatever it's worth. Probably not yeah. much, but 
just based off the flow of it, yeah, it, it, it's one of those things, like, you can't prove, like, okay, Kyle Trask is yeah. going to make that completion if he stays in the game, and if you take him out there, up oh, there, there, go, there it goes, it disrupts his rhythm, it disrupts his flow. You can't really prove it, but afterward, it certainly appears that way sometimes. Yeah, because, you know, the rotation to me uh, in the LSU game, it, it kind of worked. It, it helped Florida in that game. So, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. a, it's just weird. You know, you go back and, of course, the the, the, the relationship and connection of, of Tebow and Leak uh, and, and fast-forwarding it to now. So, you know, we, we know Dan Mullen has a feel for rotating quarterbacks. It's just right, right now, lately, uh, this one's looked a little clunky. So let's go to the other side of the ball, and uh, kudos to this defense in the first half to holding Missouri to three first-half points. Uh, letting the Florida offense eventually figure it out. Kelly Bryant was coming back and, and starting for the Missouri Tigers, and and the hope for them is that it would you know it would help a struggling offense, but it really didn't. Uh, last couple of years, Missouri's been able to hop on Florida from the get go with a struggling Florida offense, and you know, it was imperative for this defense to make plays where you know so so Missouri could couldn't get out to a lead, and that continued in the second half where Florida only gives up another field goal. We saw the defensive tack will and, and get in the backfield, play sound football most of the day. Uh, Missouri ended the day with just 256 yards of total offense. For the most part, the, I thought the Gators tackled pretty well too. There were a couple yeah. of plays where, you know, I mean, C.J. Henderson whiffed on that Kelly Bryant scramble. That comes to mind as a big one, but there there weren't too many of them. And you know, I'll point while I'm talking about corners real quick. Uh, Kyrie Elam had a nice play uh, on like a third and fourteen, maybe in the second quarter, if not the first quarter. He made a tackle on uh, Missouri tight end Albert O, and that's a big that's a big man to get down. Uh, it wasn't like a sure tackle. It wasn't like a a one on one stop like a Sean Davis like monster hit. But you know he he got him down, and that's that's what they the Gators have needed all season is for their secondary to make tackles like that. Um, because if maybe he doesn't maybe he breaks that tackle if it's not Kyrie Elam, and and maybe he goes for an additional five or six yards stick with the first down, and then what happens? Then who knows what happens from there. But uh, Kyrie Elam, I thought, played well. A long list of defensive guys that played well. At the top of my list for, the, for defense is Marco Wilson, though. I thought yep. um, at the star position, he looked like a natural. He came up huge on that tackle for loss. Um, the first series for Missouri just read that play beautifully. Perfect execution. Zach Carter helped him out. He, doesn't, he didn't get enough love during the game, but Zach Carter uh, really set the edge there and, and disallowed uh, Bryant to make a, a play or to kind of scramble for yardage if, if, if he wanted to, and that forced him to kind of make the, make the swing pass, and then Marco Wilson was right there to stop it. Uh, so he, put, he played well. Of course, he had the interception to kind of uh, put the icing on the cake at the end. Uh, but it was good to see because you thought to yourself, right, David, that like, it was going to work, him at the star position, just because it made sense. Cerebral, cerebral guy, knows defense, excellent in the secondary. But it was also just nice to kind of see it. Because it's one thing to talk about it and say that's the right move, but it kind of confirmed that that was that was the right move to make. And you and, and it come at a time, Will, where you know we've questioned this secondary of look they've played good this year, uh, but maybe not living up to the expectation that we thought uh, that, that 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 they would have coming in. We you know we expect Marco Wilson, C.J. Henderson, you know, and this is jokingly saying to never have a pass completed on them. Of course they are. Of course they, it's going to happen. Uh, but maybe they haven't lived up to, to quite the expectation that uh, most people had coming into this season. And you wondered how he would take a move uh, to, to to a moving moving position. Uh, you know, more than likely his final season at Florida. You know, outside cornerbacks make a ton of money in the NFL. Uh, he's coming back from an injury. You know, probably wants to put on tape. Uh, he's he's put enough on tape, of course, for the NFL to see right now. But you know, you wondered how he would take it. You know, this late in the season, if his head would be in the game of of having to move positions, something. Um, but I know he said, look, now he gets to put more on film, more on tape for the NFL because now he's playing another position. And, of course, you know, the NFL teams are going to look at that. So, you know, good for that because it needed to happen. As you said, Trey Dean was out there struggling in the in the nickel star position. Uh, Georgia really abused him early on in that game, and we haven't seen him much there uh, since that point uh, of the season. And, yeah, cre- yeah, absolutely. Credit to Marco for, for being able to 
to go out there and still make something happen, still you know be a great teammate, go out there and help this defense. And look, we don't talk about Kyrie Elam enough, and that's probably a good thing because you know corners when you get talked about a lot, most of the time it's it's not for good headlines, it's a lot of time for negative headlines. But he's out there as a true freshman. I'm glad you brought him up because, it, and it's not for the, for the negativity. We're not calling a cornerback out because most of the time when a quarterback cornerback gets noticed, it's because of a of a bad play that happened. Yeah, or or an interception. Yeah, but with yeah. Kyrie Elam, it's like he's just making the right plays and like that deep pass against Vanderbilt, he was there for it. Um, it was really the only time anybody was really tested in the secondary, so I remember it. But, yeah, I mean, he's, he he looks like he belongs. And not only that he belongs, but he looks like he could really be a, a major player in the SEC as far as your top your top corners go. I know it's a lot for to say about a true freshman, but I honestly believe that, man, next year, particularly if, if like, we expect at least – at least one, if not both, corners leave. Uh, Florida still, I feel like, in good hands with Kyrie Elam. I think you could do a lot worse than um, a second-year guy like that and, get, and just saying, hey, you're who we have. Um, because if you look at his advanced stats, he has the best numbers in the entire secondary when it comes down to QB rating against, completion percentage against, uh, yards per uh, attempt allowed uh, is super low. So that indicates that even the catches that he is allowing – they're in front of him, so I mean he's been excellent, man. Um, it will be interesting to see how he performs in, in the last two games, of course, uh, to keep that positive momentum going for him. But also in the secondary, man, I thought I thought uh, Sean Davis did well. Uh, I thought he tackled well. I thought Donovan Steiner played really well. Yep. He had a, a notable pass breakup in the first quarter that I remember. Uh, so just all around, I mean, you got really like what you saw, and it showed up in the statistics. But you go across the position groups. Um, defensive line. I saw David Turner, the defensive line coach, tweet that like only five dudes showed yeah. up, uh, <laughs> ready to play. Not showed up, you know what I mean? Just right, right. to play. Um, because they were without Jabari Zuniga again, so uh, they had to work with what they had, and what they had wasn't a whole lot. But those guys, those guys were ready, man. They they were impressive. Uh, Shuler, Campbell, usual guys, but also Slayton's been really good as of late. Yeah. He looks very much improved. That's good to see through the Gators. I mentioned Zach Carter also played well. So, yeah, you got good performances across the board. You keep going, man. James Houston made some plays. Yeah. Miller made some tackles. I mean, it was just a complete performance by the defense that probably didn't get enough credit um, when that result hit because of the slow start by the offense in the first half and the big plays they made in the second half. I mean, they hounded Kelly Bryant all day. Three total sacks. Uh, could have had a few more. Uh, Kelly Bryant good at escaping the pocket there a good bit of the time. Uh, but 10, ta- 10 tackles for loss. Uh, third game in a row where the opposing run game just hasn't really been able to get going. Missouri with 52 yards on the ground. Uh, game started as a, with a three and out. Ended with a Marco Wilson interception. Uh, complete performance from this defense. And, you know, look, in, in their five home games, Missouri entered the game averaging 40.4 points a game. Uh, its lowest single total being 34 against South Carolina. Florida held them to six. Uh, averaging 40 points at home, Florida held them to six. Uh, the Tigers averaged 461 uh, total yards at home. Gators held them to 256. Uh, Missouri averaged 216 rushing yards at home. Florida held them to 52. And, I mean, you can't give enough credit, I don't think, to Jonathan Grenard. Two sacks, five tackles for loss. Uh, entered the day with four sacks, seven tackles for loss here. So as to that total. Um, and Florida says, you know, Grenard's five tackles for loss were the most by a Gator in the game since at least 2000. Uh, and it was also announced on Sunday he is the recipient of the Walter Camp Defensive Player of the Week Award. Will, man, he, he looks healthy. It, it, it's it's clear he makes the defense better overall. He's pressuring the quarterback. He's sacking the quarterback. He's blowing up run plays. He's setting the edge in the run game. You know, it, it's clear to see his impact when he's out there against LSU and South Carolina. The run defense looked pretty pedestrian. Competition played a part, but you know, Grenard is instrumental in, in this defense playing its best. The entire defensive line benefits from him being out there. And man, I. I we can only imagine, but it's a shame we only got to see him and Zuniga uh, together so very little. <laughs> yeah, man, absolutely. That's like you, you saw that Miami game, and you're like, oh, man, let's do this pass rush. <laughs> something else. And it, and it really could have been if these guys stayed healthy. I felt like, yeah, you know, they weren't going to get 10 sacks versus LSU, but 
um, where they could they have gotten at least one one or two stops if both of those dudes are healthy. You would you would think, right? Yeah. Um, and that's really all they kind of needed to make it even more of a game than what it was. They only lost by what two touchdowns in that game. So, um, yeah, man, it's it, it is a shame for Florida that that had to happen, particularly for Jabari Zuniga because that's a guy who, who kind of came back. Yeah. And I know like his his draft stock is not necessarily going to be severely impacted one way or the other. People know that he's pretty good. I think a big season, of course, would have like vaulted him higher. But I'm not sure if this injury riddled season will really decrease his stock much, just because a lot of people in the NFL know what he's capable of. It's just you know he came back to play. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like he came back to play. So you can put even like the NFL draft stuff aside for a second and you just say to yourself, wow, you know, this was a dude who came back, played, could have had a huge season in the SEC where everybody was talking about him. Now the only time we really talk about Jabari Zuniga is when we're talking about his ankle. Uh, yeah. and that's kind of a shame for him because he's, a, he's a, a, a good talent. Kid works hard. He was somebody that they obviously counted on, and for good reason. Um, Todd Grantham also mentioned um, that he's, he's been helpful with the younger guys too, and that hasn't been talked about a whole lot. But he has been around, um, even though he's not been able to fully participate like in practices and obviously in games. But He's been helpful to guys, it seems, if you, t- if you take Todd Grantham for his word on that. So, yeah, and, and Jonathan, good on that. It's like, if you think about earlier in our conversation when we were talking about the offensive guys, how hard they be they will be able to replace base, just based off the intangibles that they bring, let alone the production, the same could be said about Grenard. And you kind of say to yourself, man, Brenton Cox better be pretty good because yeah. they're losing a whole lot in that pass rush. And I like the body. I like Chris Bogle. Those are going to be really two good young players in the conference as early as next year, probably. But man, they're going to need Bretton Cox to be to be a five-star talent because you're you're not going to have Jonathan Grenard, who made that defense really what it is right now, night and day, and what they're able to do versus uh, this year versus last year when he's on the field, in you know just setting the edge, playing disciplined making plays and finishing plays, night and day difference. And they're not going to have that next year, but they need Brenton Cox to be a five-star talent. Absolutely, absolutely. So we'll get into some tweets right quick before we let Will go. But before we get there, uh, you're the type of fan that knows football so well that you could choose any game and call it. Well, my bookie is the place for you as they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash into your wallet. Between football season, NBA, college basketball season, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action over at MyBookie. If you're the kind who likes to bet a little and win a lot, then try a parlay. Pick your locks for the week, put them together in one parlay bet, and when they all come through, the rewards will be huge. Tired of watching the game from the couch with nothing to gain? Then head over to MyBookie right now. MyBookie will match your deposit by 50% all the way up to $1,000. Use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today at MyBookie.ag. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot A-G. And don't forget to use promo code GATERS when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid at MyBookie. And after every game, of course, I want uh, your listeners out there to reach out to me on Twitter and I get your reaction. So let's start here with... Alexander Alza, and he says it's bittersweet since we're not going to Atlanta. However, the collapse the Gators had against Missouri the last couple of years, it's not just nice to get this Tiger off of our backs. This is another notch of progress under Dan Mullen. Uh, Gator1 at Gators1205 says, bottom line, huge win to keep the momentum of the season going in the right direction towards defeating FSU and building on recruiting. This is all a building process. Mullen understands that more than anyone. And well, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, there's been some conversation out there that since the Georgia game uh, and that loss, of course, we had to wait for some results. But uh, you know, the, maybe the Gators don't have anything to play for. But, you know, and we've had this conversation before and you know, good on this team for going out and, and destroying Vanderbilt and going to Missouri and finally beating Missouri uh, after getting pounded two seasons in a row from this team. And there, there, there were plenty of things to play for, still plenty to play for and one more game to, to end the season in the swamp, finish undefeated. Uh, beat your most hated you know, in-state rival here. Uh, a lot of recruits are going to be there. Uh, yeah, it was good to keep this positive momentum going and the Gators in a positive light to end another season. They did what they were supposed to do so far this year with one game left. They won all the games that many people predicted that they would win, plus they won a top-ten matchup versus Auburn at home, which 
you know, some people said that they would win, some people said that they would lose, uh, but it wasn't necessarily the, the same sure win, of course, that you would place with uh, the other ones. So they, they accomplished what is no small feat in doing that either, because it's, it's easy to say, you know, in the beginning of the year when you and I are talking and we're looking at the schedule and we're placing W's and L's next to these games, it's easy for us to do that and just assume that it's going to happen, but we know that that's not always the case here. Um, so they, they accomplished pretty much exactly what I think the, the consensus was as far as, like, the wins. I, I don't know about 10 wins. They probably got a couple more than, than a lot of people thought. Uh, but I figured that they would be a nine-win team at, you know, if things kind of broke, you know, a couple of bad, uh, bad losses in there with LSU and Georgia, I thought. Uh, that could have gone either way, but I still figured that they were going to be a nine-win team at the beginning of the year, and so for them to kind of be in a position to get 10, I feel like it's, it's a successful season, even though you don't beat Georgia and you don't win the SEC East. Yeah, you know, championships, of, of course, are the goal at Florida, but, Will, you know, we were we were in Birmingham uh, when the media picked Florida to finish second in the East, and, hey, look, that's what happened. So in the wide scope of things, Florida met the expectation in, in, in kind of one way of looking at it, uh, they're going to finish, you know, they finished second in the SEC East and, you know, fought tooth and nail against Georgia. So uh, cl- close game there. But, of course, uh, you know, yeah, like you said, you know, 10 wins to play for and improvement over last season uh, to get 10 regular season wins. Here we go. Uh, Neil Bennett says a great defensive effort early to keep Missouri from scoring and maintain small lead. Great throughout the entire game. A lot of teams, including some Gator teams in recent history, would have not pulled away late for a win or would have come or would have given up points and, and couldn't have come back. And, uh, yeah, Gator fans have felt that too many times uh, in recent years under previous regimes. Um, a good uh, Twitter name here, Will, uh, Chicken Tender Pub Sub. There we go. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, still says, uh, good to see the team play solid for the most part, knowing there was still a slim chance to win the SEC East. A uh, few head-scratcher decisions on offensive play column, but we don't know what Mullen's really thinking um, trying things out, getting people playing time, so it's fine. Uh, we did kind of hit on that. We we'll getting some people, you know, getting some players some playing time here, you know. But also uh, going back to kind of the, the veteran leadership of this team, uh, you know, as as he says here, you know, good to see the team play solid for the most part, knowing there was a slim chance to win the East. And uh, I, I always go back to the point of look, these seniors, these veterans have been through a lot with the coaching change. It got so ugly under Jim McElwain. Uh, crazy headlines uh, during that time, and, and now they get to reap the rewards. Yeah, it's well-deserved, those guys. I mean, they stuck it out, uh, and we're seeing a team that, that looks that way. Like, they, they look like they've been through some things, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. because of the way they carry themselves, because they're so mature is what I'm trying to get at. You know, like, you meet somebody and and they kind of go over like all the things that they've been through in life. Oh, okay, yeah, that's why you are the way you are, right? Um, and for this team, it's like they've gone through some 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 wild things over the past few seasons, and they've also won though too. You know, last year they experienced winning, and that and and that was important too. So they know how to do that. They know how to win games, and they've also overcome some some craziness. And so it's a combination that that leads to some maturity and some growth. And I feel like that's why they were able to kind of pull away with this win and, and, and make the Vanderbilt win last week the, the way that people wanted to see it. Uh, you know, it should have been a blowout. It should have been a complete no contest, and it was. And this, they should have ran away with, and they did. It, it wasn't perfect, but it wasn't anything to, to really be upset about either at all. Right. You know, injuries, losing your quarterback, losing Kadarius Tony, Zaniga, Grenard, Henderson. I mean, all missed times and Gators uh, end up, you know, keep fighting and, and getting uh, fighting for 10 wins uh, on the season as well. Last few here uh, at Jab, at Jab 2375, another great defensive performance. So I was happy to see Trask throw some 50-50 balls. Uh, Ethan White's going to be a beast on the offensive line. Uh, a couple more offensive notes here, Will, to get your thoughts on. We'll hit on, you know, the Trask and the 50-50 balls, but also Tyrone Shields, uh, says, you know, gritty win against a team that's had our number, no issues with quarterback rotation. 11 is the starter. Still think, still think LaMichael P. Ryan is the best running back on the team by far. No running back in UF history could run behind this offensive line. Uh, wide receivers steady, definitely played well. Nine and two, baby. Uh, a couple things, the 50-50 balls to Trevon Grimes, you know, I don't think we see enough of those. So it was, that was good to see uh, as well. But look, I mean, LaMichael P. Ryan, we talked about these veterans and we've hit that enough. And 
there's a reason he's on the field and going back to the peach bowl last week and the tunnel screen that was implemented. And we see, we saw him be a receiver uh, in that game that made a big difference in that game. And man, that catch he made yesterday, you wouldn't, you couldn't have told, you couldn't have told me if he was a wide receiver or a running back, if I didn't know who he was. <laughs> oh, it was, it was great, man. Uh, to be able to concentrate like that and keep your foot in, in bounds, uh, corral that catch with really two guys. Cause it was one-on-one with a linebacker. Yeah which was clearly what they wanted, but also the safety came over and helped out a little bit too when that ball was um, getting thrown. So it was really between two defenders. And so that was pretty, imp- that was pretty impressive. But I think the, the person who sent that tweet is correct. And, and it doesn't take much to realize that, but it's like there was some talk earlier in the year about, well, is it LaMichael Pirine? Is it the offensive line? I mean, look, I mean, they're, they're still trying to – trying to run uh, a couple of short yardage situations on third and two and second and short. And one in particular comes to mind with Damian Pierce on the field where it wasn't his fault, but he got zero yards and yeah. was just pushed back at the line. I mean, it was just terrible. Uh, I think that was like a second and two situation. So it's like, yeah, you kind of feel for the dude in Michael Pirine where this was his senior year and he didn't put up the rushing yards that a lot of people thought he would, myself included. But it wasn't really his fault. Um, just couldn't get anything going with that offensive line this year as far as run blocking goes, on a consistent basis at least. There were some flashes, but yep. nothing consistently game to game. Absolutely. Last thought here and uh, get Will's thoughts on uh, what happened around the SEC. Uh, Kevin Harris says, sloppy early, but once again we adjusted and found a way to win. The team went on the road in chilly weather, beat someone who's given us a hard time. We are 9-2, and two, have an opportunity to win 10 games at home versus FSU. Be proud of this team. Go Gators. So good message there uh, from Cameron. Uh, and thanks for uh, everybody for sending those out there. And uh, Will, definitely got to get your thoughts here on what happened in the SEC yesterday. A lot of headlines before I let you go. Man, uh, ugly injury. Tua Tagovailoa goes down for Alabama. They win 38-7 to over Mississippi State. But, man, that's, uh, that, that's tough to see. You know, he's fighting through injury. He wants to play. He wants to be out there with his teammates. And, uh you know, injuries are part of the game, but that was that was tough to see for a good guy out there. For sure, man, it, it was bad, and it's one of those things where like the, everybody who follows college football just kind of like stops from like the game that they're watching, and they kind of go on Twitter and they just say, "Wow," because you know, Tua was that all-world talent, or is that all all-world talent? But by all accounts, he's also you know, people say he's such a great guy as well, just a, a good person, uh, good-hearted. It seems like handled the thing with Hurts very well, I thought, publicly uh, the last couple of seasons. And everybody, nobody needs me to hear it, needs me to say it, but, I mean, the guy was still in the running for the Heisman, even though Burrow was, was probably the front runner at this point. But, yeah, it's just terrible to kind of see, especially Nick Saban said that, uh, when he was interviewed about it on the field that they were going to take him out anyway yeah. after that series. Like, they were yeah. just kind of practicing um, – their two-minute offense, um, so just an absolute shame, really is. And then you kind of kind of go into like what it means for the just college football landscape as far as the playoff goes. But yeah, yeah I don't, I wouldn't expect, I wouldn't expect Alabama to to be in there just because they're going to be that's going to be held against them because what, part of their deal was the eye test. Yeah, and that gets that gets compromised without one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Yeah, absolutely. And run through here. Uh... Well, Auburn gave us hope late, but of course, Georgia wins 21 to 14. Auburn storms back in the fourth quarter, makes it interesting after Georgia jumps up 21 to nothing. But at the end of the, at the, at the, end of the day, Will, Georgia wraps up their third straight SEC East crown. And, uh, you know, Florida will be sitting home uh, when, uh, look, we figured when Florida couldn't get it done in Jacksonville, this was going to be the case. Uh, but it was still worth noting that uh, Georgia hasn't played. All too great this year, but uh, finding a way to, to win games with that I mean that really good defense. Uh, and Georgia wins the SEC East by beating Auburn twenty one to fourteen. Yeah, man, that that pass from Bo Nix really really ruined oh, it for Auburn. Man, uh, he just was in such a hurry on that throw. Um, yeah, just if he would have just set his speed, it would have been a totally different situation. But but yeah, the reality is that Georgia's there. Uh, they they'll still be. I guess wasn't top four of the playoff, which yeah. matters. But they're not going to stay there unless they beat LSU in the championship. Right. Yep. And so that's what we're going to have to see. And we'll see how good Georgia is um, because 
LSU I don't think is un, unbeatable, but they're, they're as tough as it gets, clearly. They're number one for, for a lot of reasons, and their offense is just – if Alabama couldn't stop them, I'm not sure if anybody can. Yeah, absolutely there. So Kentucky 38-14 to over Vanderbilt as uh, Kentucky 528 yards of offense uh, there. Uh, so crazy, crazy with Lynn Bowden at quarterback that they're uh, putting up 38 points. Uh, but, you know, Vanderbilt, pretty pretty bad team right now uh, there. But Kentucky was down 14-3 to at one point in that game there. So uh, LSU 58-37. Ole Miss came back uh, in the third quarter within a couple scores, uh, put, was trying to put a drive together to get within a touchdown, but it uh, didn't happen. LSU wins there 58-37, and then Texas A&M 30-6 over South Carolina. South Carolina kind of falling apart after beating Georgia uh, earlier this season and haven't really been able to capitalize at all on that. So, uh, Will, before I let you go, man, what, what you got coming up on the athletic uh, in the next couple of days? Well, we're going to do some recruiting stuff. I think that's what, well, what's on a lot of people's minds lately. Yep. Uh, as we head into not just the end of the regular season, but also signing days, early signing periods just around the corner at this point, what, a couple of weeks away. So, creeps up on you fast. It's already November 17th as we're talking now. <laughs> so, we're, I think, just a month away exactly at this yeah. point. But before you know it, it's, it's going to be quick. So, it's, it, it'll be there. So, I'll probably go through some, some, some of the more interesting recruits, either committed or who are targets of Florida, and write stories about them. Um, for the guys who are committed, I find, uh, I find this commit list to be pretty talented. And also super interesting as well. I think that they've done really well on the defensive line so far, and they've also had some some interesting names that I'm I'm curious to see how they'll pan out in the future. Um, a couple of under recruited players is who I'm referring to. So I'll I'll be working on some of that stuff. Uh, plus, we're going to be issuing our all decade team for the uh, 2010s uh, for Florida. So that was something that uh, Dave, you're familiar with from having a conversation with me. I picked the brains <laughs> of some other folks as well. Um, so it is a, it is a fun exercise. I'm glad it's over and I'm eager to, I'm eager to release it. Uh, cause it was, it was difficult. Let's just say the, uh, the McIlwain and the Muschamp years did not lend itself to some, uh, to some long list of running backs and quarterbacks to choose from. Uh, absolutely there. So yeah, look up, look, look, look for that coming up from, from Will and the athletic, a lot of good stuff coming up. Uh, we'll be hit recruiting, uh, you know, on, on Gators breakdown this week as well with the bye week coming up, uh, a week before FSU. Well, man, I can't thank you enough for joining me on your travels back from Columbia on the way back to Gainesville. Safe travels, man. And, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, I guess, uh, we'll talk to you again the, the Sunday, the day after Florida, Florida state. Season goes by fast, man. Appreciate it. As always looking forward to it. All right, well, that's Will Salmon from The Athletic. I am David Waters, host of Gators Breakdown. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.